You're listening to a Behind Closed Doors podcast on 3CR 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash Behind Closed Doors. Our podcasts are also available on iTunes and Spotify. This show is broadcast on the land belonging to the people of Kulin Nation. Behind Closed Doors 3CR pays its respect to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledges that sovereignty has never been ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You have tuned in into 3CR's program Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind closed doors, aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful, this program is not suitable for little years, as there may also be explicit language use. Please email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. Welcome to Behind Closed Doors. My name is Sasha, and I have a very special guest and also a dear friend of mine, Taylor Kugel. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Thank you, Sasha. And um, why don't you tell the listeners who you are, um, where you're from? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, so my name is Taylor Kugel. Um, I am a proud trans woman, and I've been or, tra- or I've transitioned, uh, or started transitioning back in 2016. And I came out to family in 2015. I am not a young woman. (laughs) So I started transitioning later in life um, at the age of 48. And but I had been exploring a long time before that, uh, before coming out to family uh, to try and identify my identity, so to speak, and and live that. Uh, I. You know, work like everybody else, uh, been been uh, grateful for that. And I've got support from family, friends, my work work colleagues. That's nice. Yeah, uh, which is a rare thing. It is a rare thing. Um, from my experience, it's a l- especially coming from an Asian um, background, a lot of the trans women who came out, their family would disown them. But I'm one of the lucky ones, I guess. But it took a while for my family to accept me. Did you know that you wanted to be a woman um, at a very young age? Well, I didn't have a definition for myself uh, up until about the year 2000. So um, so it, it was confusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... From the age of eight, I was dressing up, um, pinching my sister's clothes, oh. <laughs> uh, pinching my mum's uh, wig and yeah. all sorts of other things that I was playing around with uh, since the age of eight. And I didn't quite fit into, you know, the boy scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't also, yeah, and I was actually more accepting within um, my female friend circles. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I started pretty early, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a definition for myself okay. and that, that made things difficult. And other things that made things difficult is that I wasn't just attracted as well to like women or men. I was attracted to both. So okay. that even added another layer yeah, of um, yeah. complexity, um, you know, with, with me growing up during my teen years. But I'd always been dressing up um, in quiet or uh, silently in the closet, so to speak. Yeah. 
and uh, up until I actually moved from, uh, got out of some relationships mm -hmm. and moved to Melbourne um, from basically, all well, the Yarra Valley was my last place. Okay. Uh, but once I moved closer to Melbourne, uh, then I was able to freely explore um, those, you know, uh, about myself more and more openly and freely. What stopped you from um, exploring your sexuality and your identity, I guess, at that age, that young age? Well, I was actually brought up in the country. So, mm -hmm. so um, and in particular, a lot of my you know, time was um, in fairly non, you know, you know, supportive type country towns. Like Bendigo um, was very, very, yeah, it's definitely anti-gay back then. Uh, a lot of people got bashed up. In fact, I got bashed up quite a lot. Oh, my God. Um, not because I was gay or anything. It was just I was an effeminate male. Mm. And so I would be the, you know, I'd be picked on a lot, bashed, um, used as a punching bag for other pe people during yeah. during primary school and, and high the school. bullies. Yeah. Being bullied. Yeah. yeah and being bullied. D um, did you go to the authorities? Um no, no, uh, no, and un unfortunately, even when I did raise the issue, like with my mum or with the school, um, it it was almost like it was my fault. Mm. Um, I was just reacting to the kids who were picking on me, but I was, you know, because you know they turn around. Some sometimes they turn around and say, "Oh, if you didn't behave in, you know, if you didn't react." to that situation and I told them I shouldn't need to react. Mm. Yeah, you know, they shouldn't be picking me on me in the first place. And you know, it was about defending myself um and I couldn't fight. Yeah. Um so I would just try and keep people at bay by screaming or or you know, throwing things at at a distance. Yeah. Um to keep them away from me. Um I would always try and run from a situation. I feel you. Um I'm just fortunate when I was in school I wasn't I didn't get bullied at all because I was with all the it girl, as they call, um, they they will fight back usually for me. If there's somebody just being nasty to me, they will fight for for me. Mm. So I've actually never been bullied in uh, in school, but I've been bullied and beaten up when I already transitioned to be a trans woman, not only by men, a homophobic man, but also by my peers, because. Um, the older um, trans women, as they say, because they do not like um, the new young ones, upcoming ones, the pretty ones. They never like them. Um, so I get beaten up a few times. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I've I've had similar situations even within my own community yeah. um, since coming out. So yeah, I've been to a few clubs where I've been picked on mm. from mm. people from certain cultural groups. Yeah, um, and we won't go into that. But yeah, you know, um, but. There are certain cultural groups that have a, a, a habit of um, putting women down, correct, and and thinking that it's their right to use us. Um, so I've had situations like that in clubs, mm. um, but also within our own community, there have been you know a few people who haven't gone through the process of working out their own emotional and psychological challenges by seeing professional support. Mm. And unfortunately, they then overlay those insecurities that yeah. they've got within themselves onto others through some form of attack. It's true. Mm. Um, 
if I don't actually move to Australia, I probably wouldn't know uh, about trans rights. Um, because growing up in Singapore, the treat trans people the community are just toxic. You know, they always want to bully somebody or pick on on somebody, especially the one who are not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never been in my group of friends, but it's always outside of our group of friends. They always have to pick on on somebody. Um, yeah, it's very toxic. Yeah. But coming here, I see less of that. Um, which is good, you know, people People should live their love however they want to be. Yeah, and we are totally blessed here in yeah. Australia. Um, even though there are certain, you know, um, you know groups within our community or, or um, you, know, you know, sort of even government in some respects mm. um, who do not respect us. Um, but there are so many people that do. And we do have laws and rights that do protect us as tra- trans yeah. people. Uh, yeah. Tra- yeah, anybody within the trans community, it doesn't mm. matter where you are, yeah. um, you know, trans male, trans female, mm. or somewhere in between uh, yeah. being genderqueer. Mm. Um, we're actually all protected. And more so here in Victoria, we've got very, very, um, through the Human Rights um, Act of Victoria, uh, we're actually totally protected by law. Yeah. Um, so any form of harassment or discrimination, um, you know, you are protected. Yeah. Uh, which is excellent. And generally, our community here are very, very good and very supportive. Mm. Um, it's just that there's always a couple of bad apples. In of course. Things, but, but it doesn't matter whether you're in the dog club. But, but you or, know what? I always believe education is the key. Yes. I think a lot of them, those bad apples, as they <laughs> say, do not or refuse to educate themselves. As um, an advocate, I want to learn more um, to be better uh, and do better yeah, and, in and, general. And, and the main thing, but, you know, ma- many things or things that I have learned mm. um, and I've always been you know, from a very open family, which which has helped a lot. You know, my grandparents, right through you know, to my mom, my sister, everybody. Um, so we've been very open in our sort of inc- you know being inclusive of anybody. Yeah. And but one of the things is is that people have got to realise that gender, sexuality, mm. they're all on a scale. Yes. Right. No, no one is you know an alpha male or an alpha female. And and so somewhere along, so you are somewhere along that particular scale and you should respect people for who they are. Yeah. Um, and, and as long as they aren't doing any harm mm. or they, they are being disrespectful and got to remember also, you've got to look at where that disrespect comes from. Yeah. Because sometimes it's their own insecurities or they mm. are actually seeing some of, themselves Correct. in you and so that it's a, a natural yeah. emotive reaction to fight back. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. You have tuned in to Behind Closed Doors. I'm Sasha and I've been chatting with Taylor Kugel. So Taylor, you are a woman of many talents. As I get to know you for this few years, I learned a lot more about you. You used to have... Um, a recording studio and thank you so much during the COVID <laughs> that you lent your all your microphones to me because I have nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, that's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, and um, and you also have won, um, you have entered and even won um, um, beauty pageants for trans beauty pageants. Um, you great with IT. Um, 
Have I missed anything else? <laughs> oh, there, there's, there's quite a few things. So, um, and yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, for the audience, I'm I'm actually a naturopath by trade, um, but I also started in computers back in 1978 uh, at the tender age of 10. Okay. So that gives away my true age. <laughs> um, and and so yeah, I've I've been able to mix the the two two worlds of you know the the sort of the logical and the not so logical worlds, um, and live in both uh, quite successfully. And so, yeah, so naturopath by trade. I've also, um, you know, had my own businesses as well. So animal produce garden supply store, wow, uh, perfume and sort of uh, hair care products that those type of things. Uh, also, yeah, record a record yeah. Um, a record business as well as an artist management business, a consulting business. And uh, lots of other little mm. ventures along the way. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you inspire me every time I know you. Um, yeah, it's inspiring, Taylor. So this is the reason why we brought you here because we want to talk about your another profession. You being in BDSM, so you practice and also um, provide services in the BDSM um, category in the sex work category. Would you like to tell me a little bit about that? So I've always had an interest in BDSM uh, when I first saw saw it, uh, I suppose, online back, back in the early 2000s. And I've always had some type of also fetish bent as well. Um, so I had some early latex and doing all that type of thing. Um, so I've always been interested in the BDSM, but it wasn't until I sort of moved to Melbourne where I could not only just explore my gender identity, but also um, my other, you know, things like BDSM and sexuality, the, mm -hmm. a whole gamut of things that allowed me to start to explore. explore. So I actually, um, you know, went online and I found a site called, you know, Vet life, okay, um, and that is where I discovered uh, some people doing some education sessions. Um, so I'd already sort of educated myself from an online perspective, but not in the real world. And I'd all been already been practicing a lot of the stuff on myself. You mm -hmm. know how to tie th tie 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 things up and uh, impact and all that type of things. So, but it wasn't until I actually got into the actual community itself here in Melbourne. And it's an amazing community. It's huge. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of people think that it isn't um, big, but it, it is actually a lot of people that um, are in the BDSM community here. Yeah. So I ended up doing some education, going to uh, also to power exchange meetings and uh, DS meetings. And then I sort of got to meet a whole bunch of amazing people. Mm. And it is from there that I actually was a BDSM lifestyler. Okay. So I wasn't doing it professionally or, um, but I wa were, was doing things like skill shares, uh, teaching people certain skills, as well as myself learning new skills. Okay. And uh, I'd also been uh, a submissive or actually a slave okay. to one, one of the dominatrixes here in Melbourne at one stage. So usually you will be the dom? So nowadays I'm more of a dom. I've always been a switch. So okay. I would actually uh, switch be between being um, a, a dom and, and submissive. a sub submissive. Yeah. 
And but I wanted to explore. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that. I'll never give out anything that I haven't experienced myself. Right. Um, so everything that I do professionally now, mm -mm. Um, I've actually experienced. And in fact, I experience it at a greater level than what um, I dish it out because most people can't handle it. So, <laughs> um, so, so I'm, um, I've also uh, been able, had the opportunity to now to also teach other uh, sex workers uh, mm. certain skills and I'm looking at sort of expanding that as well. Uh, so the actual professional sex work is only relatively new from a professional perspective. Mm hmm so I've only been doing it now for the last, you know, well, couple of years now. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, still all those Victorian law constraints that yes. we've got to deal with. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it has been a, a, an amazing uh, journey to be able to meet amazing people within the community. Um, and, you know, learning from them and now I actually give back and also teach others, um, even, you know, uh, particularly things with impact play or medical play, those type of areas, yeah, yeah. which are my passion. Okay. And who's your most common customer in terms of demographics in um, what sorts of experiences requested? Uh, so demographic-wise, uh, it is pretty much uh, men. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, and generally though, the type of mail that I get is I don't get any that sort of are, um, trying to be macho and think, you know, try and dominate me and see if you can do it. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I technically, uh, get that approach me, are submissive. Um, so they, they're naturally a feminine themselves. Okay. Um, it, and that seems to be the demographic that I attract. Um, whether that's because I am also trans, um, as well as, you know, obviously having the dominant sort mm -hmm. of, um, mm -hmm. role when I'm, when I'm doing it from a professional perspective. Uh, so that is my primary demographic and I, I'm not like sort of my other friends who do it, who may work for a, you know, a house. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually only do out calls. Um, so you so, mean, and I uh, pick, I get to pick and choose my clients. So you, when you said house, you mean um, like a business um, uh, a, a broth, yeah, yeah, business venues like yeah. brothels yeah. or um, specifically places that are built for uh, BDSM. BDSM. Yeah. Uh, so and so how how do you carry all your tools to you know you have to travel the whole dungeon to your customer how is that going to work so basically in a bag <laughs> <laughs> um, so the you, you have to sort of um, depending on where you're going mm -hmm. will depend on how discreet you have to be because obviously there are certain you know venues that you've got to go in fairly normal thin walls <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, there's thin walls, but that's that's what gags are for. So, okay. so that 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 sort of knocks that noise out <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but hotel walls are actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, if if you go in the hotel, but it isn't. Um, uh, I also do in people's homes. Yeah. Um, and other areas like that. So, um, but yeah, there there are constraints. So if you are going into a um, a, a a paid establishment like mm -hmm. a hotel or mm -hmm. something, then uh, obviously you have to go in fairly discreetly because it's actually not accepted uh, okay. generally. But I also have the opportunity to be able to hire rooms at 
um, you know, there's a you know, few uh, brothels yep. or houses around here in Melbourne where I can just hire a yep. room on the hour. Um, so just make sure the person pays up front. Yep. So if they do a runner, I'm not out of pocket. <laughs> um, I'm very curious. Have you ever traveled to someone's home and they actually have a dungeon? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not, 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 yeah, not had, yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, but they, they have actually had toys. Okay. And, and obviously when, when they're reaching out to a person like myself, um, they've already had some prior experience with other people generally. So it's, they, they aren't usually first timers. Okay. Um, first timers um, who are there, uh, I, I make sure they go, everybody goes through a fairly rigorous sort of you know, um, questionnaire yeah, and, yeah. uh, so, so it isn't like, I'd like to be able to use your service. Um, and then I, I turn up, yeah. um, there's actually a vetting process. Okay. Okay. Tell us, I'm thinking the listeners are curious as well. What is the strangest scene you've been asked for professionally? Um, well, for me, there's not much that's strange. So, so it, it, well, it, maybe it's not strange for you. It's maybe it's probably strange. strange for our listeners, I guess. Yeah. Um, who, who doesn't know about BDSM at all? Maybe they're still exploring. Yeah. So, um, a lot of people, a lot of people, um, you know, for, for most people who are exploring medical play is probably one of the more extreme ones. Mm. Um, mummification is another one, which most people don't know about. Can you can you actually um, explain what mummification means? Well, basically, you have uh, sarin wrap or some type of some type of plastic wrap, uh, usually bought, bought from uh, certain hard- hardware stores, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, without naming names. Yes, um, and uh, so you, you use basically a, a heavy duty plastic wrap. You, so you just wrap them up so they couldn't move, so they will be wrapped like a mummy. They wrap, they're wrapped up like a mummy, mummy. And then you just leave them there? Well, you can do all sorts of things oh. because, they, because they can't I'm intrigued. They can't run away. Okay, so <laughs> what do you do to them if they've they already been wrapped up? Yeah, well, the, the first and foremost, you have to, A, negotiate the scene. So, okay. so this is important. Um, so you have to negotiate the scene. And also you've got to look at the risk factors of doing a particular type of play. And so with mummification, one of the, the biggest challenges is obviously overheating of the body. Mm. Um, so you've... Uh, That's as good uh, for me to, to lose all this fat. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah cheaper, than going to Holly- <laughs> yeah, cheaper than going to Hollywood <laughs> for the plastic wrap therapies. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, so, the <laughs> um, so, so it's quite... Uh, interesting in the sense that you've got to be able to put in a lot of sort of safety aspects um, before you even go into the play. And not only that, particularly with things like mummification or anything where there is some type of restriction um, or um, you know, sensory deprivation, um, you have to work out the reasons why that person wants to do it. So you don't want to be able to replicate, you don't want to replicate something which triggers them into an emotional state, right. which is undesirable. You you want them to come out with an, a form of a euphoria as opposed to fall back into a, a triggered um, prior state that might have occurred in their childhood. So these are very important aspects of mm. before you even go into, and that's why I have a fairly lengthy sort of questionnaire and also there's a, a lot of banter, um, you know, over the phone or over email um, to make sure that what the play you are choosing is not 
going to lead down into a sort of a dark path okay. for the person. When I was in Thailand with my girlfriends, we did a spa thing and then uh, we went for this chocolate mat- mask, um, whole body, and then they were wrap up, wrap us up with that um, cellophane um, plastic. And within five minutes, I was like too warm in it. And I, I feel like um, claustrophobic mm. in it as well. So I I, I left. I, I took it out and left. My girlfriend actually enjoyed it. Yeah. So I totally understand now how um, a person can be triggered by it. Yes. And and a lot of people don't know that they've got those necessary triggers either. Mm. So so it, it takes a lot of skill and takes a, um, a lot of forethought to say, okay, why does this person want this type of play? Yeah. Um, what What is their sort of, you know, where is it coming from? And if they're coming from it from a good place to, yeah, because I've got friends who actually use BDSM play to overcome some of their anxieties. Yeah. Um, or some people do have um, certain medical conditions where they've actually been able to use BDSM. And I'm not recommending it. You know, always see a medical advisor anyway, Mm-mm. whatever you do. But some people have found that by using this BDSM play, and particular types of BDSM play, um, they can actually reduce their medications because they're triggering the similar responses that the drugs are doing that they're given from the medical people to cope with that particular type of stress. Breathe in and out. You're listening to 3CR. So do do you use a safe word? Yes, always. What's your safe word? Well, it varies from person to person. Okay, yeah. even even I've got safe words when I when when I play, and uh, yeah, oh yeah. In the past, I've had some really weird weird safe safe words. Can you but, share one? Well, one of them is probably Lamington. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, okay, yeah. It's it's um, yeah, it's something I wouldn't use in normal normal conversation, particularly in play. Right. Um, there's also the traffic light system that a lot of people stick to, which is the the fairly standard standard one. You know, sort of green is good, amber sort of you know, yeah. It it depends on what you negotiate, but we'll say amber is sort of getting up to my limits, and then red is uh, this is going beyond my limits. Okay. And red can also mean stop as well. So yeah. it depends on what's negotiated, but it has to be something easy for the person to remember, mm. and they've got to be able to remember it. Okay. And I also make sure that they actually do use those in a play. So, you know, if I'll say, um, you know, where we're at and they'll say green or mm. amber. So if they don't do that response back, I'll actually uh, sometimes stop the play yeah. because it is also not just my responsibility for their health and well-being, but also their responsibility as well. Um, so it's a, you know, um, so if they aren't doing the appropriate feedback, um, then I'll either tone back the play yeah. um, because, uh, and then I'll talk to them um, or we can, you know, it gives us an opportunity to ramp it up because they might be perfectly fine, um, but they need to give that feedback because I've got to know that they are able to call the stop signal if needs be. You know, mm. or whatever that safe word is that they, so it's not just one safe word. Yeah. Okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. But, but. My, my usually safe word would be stop, babe. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I, I tell people that that is not a safe word <laughs> and, and also ouch is not yeah. a safe word <laughs> <Okay>. either. <laughs> 
So, Taylor, what's the future of Taylor Kugel? Well, the the future, um, yeah, is varied and as varied it's going to be as it's been in the past. But I am looking at, um, yeah, uh, uh, sort of expanding expanding into sort of teaching mm-hmm. uh, skills in that that area. Uh, still doing my work in uh, my my normal everyday job. Yeah, uh, but also looking at doing some more pageants mm-hmm. uh, coming up. So 2022, hopefully when things open up a bit more freely, uh, there's a couple of more pageants that I want to do. And one in particular hasn't had any trans women in it. All right. So uh, fingers crossed that I'll be able to get in that and there's no age constraints. So That's which, good. Which is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, a couple other things I've sort of got in mind, but, you know, you'll just have to watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Behind Closed Doors at 855am and digital. This is Feel So Good by Armin Van Voon featuring Nada Ali. See you next week, everyone. You're on the floor,
This is a replay from an episode of Behind Closed Doors. We sincerely hope you enjoy this episode as much as we have enjoyed producing it. <laughs>